Father, we are reminded by the events of our day how important it is to keep our eyes on you. You are the one who sets up nations and tears them down. You are the one who places leaders in power. You do these things for your glory and for your purposes. And we are comforted to know that nothing is out of control and all things are proceeding according to your plan leading up to the day when our Lord Jesus will return to this earth. We want to be better equipped to serve you as long as you keep us on this earth. Come here tonight to study your word and to study about your word. Please may your spirit be our teacher. May he reign in us and enable us to communicate graciously and clearly with each other that we may be built up and more closely aligned and more fully coordinated with our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it through him. Amen. Okay. Can you, can you folks in the back hear me? I do not have amplification tonight. Um, and have we started this recorder? Who's here? You push the, if the red button comes on and it means it's recording. Okay. I'm going to back up. I don't know what it means when it's flashing, though. Not if it's flashing? I said, I don't know what that means if it's flashing. Uh, let's see. Record level scanning. I think it's going to start recording. Okay. Um, about 30-some years ago, I decided I wanted to learn to fly. So I went to an airport and I signed up for flying lessons. I was very disappointed to discover that I had to do 14 hours of ground school before I could fly. This first class is ground school for theology. And I warn you that tonight and the next two meetings that we have may seem dry. They may even seem upsetting to you because we're going to take some time to look at the ways that people have approached theology in the past and we're going to listen to some ideas and you're going to you're going to hear these ideas and you're going to say these people were fools or these people were rank unbelievers or these people had no respect for God okay the reason we're going through this is that Looking at the ways that people have thought about God in the past will help us to clarify how we're going to think about him. And it will also remind us of the importance of the scripture as the source of all that we know about God and as the only authority. Okay, People have gone very far astray and gotten into lots of trouble by deciding that they couldn't trust Scripture and looking for information about God in other places. We're going to see some of that tonight and the next week. I hope you'll stick with me. I hope you won't walk away and say that this is too dull or too technical or too upsetting. Our goal, especially after we finish the first three weeks of this class, is to move on into the second half of the class. Now, I'm going to use a lot of terminology. You know what terminology? What's terminology? I have nothing to write with. I should have gotten something. What's that? 
in special words, okay? Terminology is just special words that fit with a particular field of thinking. Okay, if I talk about ball strikes, innings, box, runs, sliding, what am I talking about? Okay, if you don't know those terms, it's hard to discuss baseball, right? You have to learn the terms. Theology is like that. You need to learn the terminology of theology. If you learn the terminology, you can communicate clearly with other folks. You know, a carpenter has tools in his box. The sharper his tools are, the better his work is going to be. Okay? I'm going to encourage you to learn terminology. There are going to be a lot of new words, some of them you've heard before, some of them you haven't. Please don't be frightened by terminology. And please don't be afraid to use a term incorrectly, okay? We're all learners. No question that anybody asks in my class is ever a stupid question if it's asked sincerely. Right? If you have something that you want to know about, or if I've said something you don't understand that doesn't make sense, please ask your question, because there's probably somebody sitting three chairs away who's wondering the same thing, and they'll be really grateful to you for asking the question instead of forcing them to do it. All right? But now that we've got markers, okay, your first terms. Prolegomena and bibliology. Okay. By the way, I'm going to give you notes, okay? Most of what I'm going to give you is going to be on printed notes. You'll get your first set of notes next week. So don't feel that you have to be taking notes. You're welcome to, but it's not necessary. Okay. Prolegomena means something like the first words. When we're talking about theology, prolegomena is kind of the basic issues that you have to settle before you try to study scripture in a systematic way. You know, one question would be, um, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Now, if we're not all in agreement that there is such a thing as absolute truth, we can't get very far, right? Or, is it possible to translate a sentence from one language into another language and do so clearly enough that the person over here who's hearing it in the second language knows what the person over here meant in the first language. Okay? If you don't believe that's possible, you may as well forget about your Bible, because your Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, and none of us speak those as our first languages. Okay? There are a lot of things you need to settle. That's prolegomena. Okay? We're going to spend our first three weeks on that, including tonight. Bibliology is the study of the Bible. Now, I don't mean the study of all the content of the Bible. Bibliology is studying what is the Bible? Where did it come from? What does it contain? What's its nature? Okay, is the Bible a record of people's thoughts about God? Or is the Bible something that God transmitted to us? We need to settle those issues. Um, when were the books of the Bible written? How did the folks who collected the books of the Bible 
decide what really was the Word of God and what other books that they thought were very interesting and were about spiritual topics, what other books really weren't the Word of God. Okay, we're going to spend a lot of time on those kinds of questions. And you'll find that this latter part, the bibliology, is probably more interesting than prolegomena. But don't sell this short, okay? I'm going to try to keep you interested for these first three weeks. Okay, if you've got this syllabus, let's just go through some basic business here. Okay, under course goals, the goal of this course is to help you as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, or maybe you aren't, to build a foundation in your thinking for approaching a systematic study of God's Word. Okay, we've already talked about what prolegomena and bibliology are. By going through this course, you're going to learn the foundational ideas and terms that are going to make it easy for you to go through theology 2, 3, 4, and 5, and that's where the meat of our study of Scripture is going to be. Okay? So please consider this course to be a foundation that's going to pay off in time. Okay? This is a voluntary course, course requirements. The only requirement is that you just come. Okay? Now some folks have asked me, if I can't be here every week, should I come? Absolutely. You come as many weeks as you can. I'd like you to be here every week. If you come at least seven weeks, and I need to pass around an attendance sheet and I forgot to make one. If you come at least seven weeks, we'll give you some kind of certificate when you finish to recognize your faithful attendance. Okay? Now I'm going to give you handouts from time to time. I'd like you to read them. There will be Bible passages in those handouts. I'd like you to read those and think about them. And occasionally, I might give you something like homework. Okay? None of those things are required. Please do not say, I don't want to participate in this class because I don't want to do homework. If you just come and sit and listen and participate, that's all I'm requiring of you. Okay? From time to time, I may give you a quiz. This will probably happen only once or twice during the, the course. It's going to be for fun. I'll pass it out. I'll ask you some questions. You'll answer the questions. You'll swap papers with the person next to you. You'll grade them, and you'll chuckle. You'll pass them back, and I will never see them. Okay? It's kind of for fun and for review. Okay, the course schedule is there. We don't need to read through that. You can look at that yourself later on. Uh, course materials, like I said, I'm going to give you handouts. I'll try to have them be punched so that you can put them in a binder. There's not going to be a whole lot. I'll probably give you less than 100 pages of handouts for the whole 10-week course. Okay? Please do not let that stuff frighten you. Under course resources, I've listed several books on systematic theology. If you want to go look at something, these are good books to look at. Now, please be aware that there are many different orientations towards systematic theology. There is uh, Reformed systematic theology. There's Roman Catholic systematic theology. There is Dispensational systematic theology. There are all kinds of orientations. I've tried to give you a fairly good spread 
within books that are written by evangelicals. Okay? I don't think anything that you read in any of these will lead you very far astray. Okay? You will find something in every one of these books <coughs> that you probably won't agree with, but they're all basically sound. Okay? Course calendars there. Uh, you can look at the course outline at your leisure. Like I said, we're going to break it down into the study of these two parts, prolegomena and bibliology. Okay, and please, let me, let me say again, um, the purpose of this class is to enjoy learning together. Please do not be intimidated by me. I don't think I'm an intimidating person. But if you have a question, raise your hand or shout it out. Um, I will often say stupid things like, I will mean to say Moses, and I'll say Noah, or I may get my terms backwards, you know. My wife remembers the day when I was leading a communion service, and I said very firmly, Jesus Christ was not without sin. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what I meant. <laughs> but... I got some funny looks, and she came up to me later and said, do you know what you said? <laughs> and I listened to it on a recording later, and I was horrified. <laughs> okay. Dave, can you clarify course schedule? Yes. It's the second to last paragraph on the first page. Okay. It says to me, it's so important. Let's see. Here at 645. Oh, did I get it backwards? That's the second section. That's for the second session. Oh, yeah, I did say 740. Okay. Yeah, this is 645, hermeneutic will be at 740. So that's a typo. Okay. Right? You're all here for the right one. And I hope it'll stay for the second class. All right. Um, I'm going to start leading you now through some topics having to do with prolegomena. Okay? Next week, you will, have, you will receive notes containing the information I'm going to share with you now. So please do not feel you have to write anything down. Just give me your attention up here, and next week you'll get this stuff in printed form. All right? If you don't mind, I'm going to turn the lights down so we can see things better. Okay. Let's see if this is working. Okay, prolegomena. What is prolegomena? It's the foundations for theology. Bibliology is the doctrine of the Bible. What is the Bible? That's what we're going to be doing. Okay, terminology. Let's go over this again. Words are the tools of thought. Do you know why human beings can think and figure things out and do things that no other creature on the planet can do? because God gave us the tool of language. Okay? This is one of the things that makes us different than all of God's other, other creatures. Terminology is precisely defined in chosen words. They help us to think and communicate clearly. So the more terminology you know, the more effectively you'll be able to communicate. And, you know, we're concerned about the content of Scripture and the Gospel. Now let me just say a word about jargon, okay? When I say terminology, that sounds like a favorable word. When I say jargon, that may sound negative. 
the stuff that we talk about here when we use terminology that Christians use, it's very important that we communicate clearly about it. When you go out and you talk to your neighbor who isn't a Christian, you've got to be careful not to assume that they know the terminology. You may have to translate things and say them in a somewhat different way, not using the terminology. And that doesn't mean you sh that you shouldn't learn the terminology. Learn the terminology because it will help you to think clearly. And then when you need to share with somebody, if you can think clearly, you'll be able to say it without using the terminology. Does that make sense? Okay? There's not, you know, we talk about Christianese and our jargon and our secret words, and people, people speak negatively about that. I don't think jargon is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. But we have to be wise about where we use it and who we use it with. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Here's a great question. What is theology? Why is it useful? Any ideas? What's theology? Concept of God. Okay, concept of God. That's good. The word about God. The word of God. That's really what it means, right? The word about God or the subject about God, study of God. Why is it useful? Well, it puts a concept in an understandable format. Okay, it makes things understandable. But why do we want to understand about God? Who cares? Okay, in order to know it. What else? Because we, because we like to put things in order. Okay, we like to put things in order. Because we have a desire to understand, don't we? We tend not to want to act on what we don't understand. If you understand something and you can see the value of it, you're motivated to respond to it in an intelligent way. Okay, theology is the study of God and his ways. It's useful, and I would argue it's necessary for a number of reasons. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It tells us the way of salvation, doesn't it? When you share the gospel with somebody, you are speaking theology. You're telling that person how it is, how God works, what God expects of a person who comes to him for salvation. Okay? Theology tells us about ourselves. Okay, Glenn said it helps you to understand. You remember in the 60s, everybody wanted to go find themselves? You know, you climb to the top of a mountain in Tibet, and there's some guy up there sitting on a rock, and you think you're going to find yourself, and you climb down the other side, and you don't know any more than you did before you went up. Because the answer is here. This is where we find out what we're like. The good and the bad fact that we bear the image of God, the fact that that image is so badly marred that everything we do <coughs> broadcasts, in a way, a false message about God. You're supposed to be able to look at a human being and say, that's what God is like. But there's only ever been one human being on the earth who did that accurately all the time, and that was Christ. Salvation viewed in one way is the process of God taking us in this messed up state we are and transforming us so that one day 
anybody could look at any believer and say, that is what God is like. Okay? All right. Theology helps us to make sense of reality. You know, you look up in the sky and you see the, you see the moon move across the sun. Is that a dragon swallowing the sun? Some people think so. Okay? You need theology to make sense of reality. Most ancient cultures have a record of the flood. How do you make sense of that? Okay, well, Scripture gives us a way to make sense of that. The flood was not a chance physical occurrence. It was a purposeful thing that God did. Theology leads us to a correct worldview. This is really important. One of the things that we're going to see as we go through some of the theologies that people have used in the past is that they reflect a worldview that's different than ours. Now, ideally, our worldview should be influenced by Scripture and determined by Scripture. But we all have things in our worldview that may not be quite right, and we need to constantly being shifted back toward the truth that's found in Scripture. Okay. I think theology is the basis for a healthy spiritual life for individual believers and for the church as a whole. A church whose members have sound theology, in other words, whose members understand who God is, what God is doing, and what he expects of us, that kind of church is going to be a healthy church, provided they're willing to act on what they know. And the strange thing is, and I'm convinced of this, the more you know God's Word and the more you understand Him, the more motivated you're going to be to cooperate with Him in what He wants to do. Okay? I, I, I will never buy the idea that you can study Scripture too much. If you're studying Scripture properly, I believe it's going to motivate you to action, not turn you into some ivory tower theologian who never steps out of the room. Okay? All right, now let's, let's talk about types of theology. We're going to look at two kinds of types of theology tonight. Okay? This first category, categorization of types has to do with how you organize the data. Then we're going to look at several types of theology <coughs> that have to do with um, <coughs> the orientation of various different thinkers and groups of people toward God. Okay? First, we're going to look at how the data is organized. I guess that's the best way to put it. Biblical theology. Okay, biblical theology is studying the Bible according to chronology and authorship. Now, let me explain this to you. You know that the Bible is made up of a series of books, the earliest of which was written around 1400 B.C. and the latest of which was written close to 100 A.D. Okay? 1,500 years. You can look at those writings and put them in chronological order, and you can say, in the earliest writing, God revealed something. In Genesis 3, God revealed that the seed of the woman, whoever that was going to be, was going to undo the damage done by the snake, the serpent, Satan. Okay. By the time you get to the end of the Bible, you know who the seed of the woman is, right? It's Christ. But if you're back here kind of in the middle, you know maybe that it's going to be somebody from the tribe of Judah 
or that it's going to be a descendant of David, but you still don't know it's going to be a guy named Jesus who's going to be born in Nazareth. All right? One kind of biblical theology looks at how this information is slowly revealed through time by God as the different books were written. Another kind of biblical theology would look at particular authors. For example, John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. He has a certain style of writing and certain themes that he's really interested in, like light and dark, good and evil. Okay? He likes these black and white contrasts, and John focuses on certain concepts. You could talk about the, the, the theology of John. Then you can go over and you can talk about the theology of Paul. Okay? Paul focuses on different kinds of concepts. He talks a lot about the church. He talks about the legal aspects of substitutionary atonement. How did that whole thing work? Okay? Now, John's theology and Paul's theology are not contradictory. They work together. They give us different facets of the same body of truth. Okay? So anyway, biblical theology is one way of organizing the data of Scripture. Okay, now historical theology. This is the study of what the church thought at various times in history. What did the church think in the first century? What did the church think in the third century when the Romans institutionalized the church? What did the church think in the medieval period? What did the church think when the Reformation began? Okay? You can study doctrine through history. One of the interesting things about this is that you can look back and see how the church dealt with heresy. And one of the things that you'll see is some of the questions that were raised by the church early in history, like, is Jesus really divine? Okay? That question was settled a long time ago, but that question will crop up again. Okay, the Jehovah's Witnesses will say that Jesus isn't really divine. Well, you can look back at how the early church dealt with that question and get help in dealing with it today. There's value in seeing how they understood the, the data of Scripture through time. Okay, then there's dogmatic theology. This is the study of the dogmas of the church, the creeds. Okay? Dogmatic theology is closely related to historical theology, but it's not quite the same. And there's natural theology. There are some people who think you can learn about God without using the Bible. Now, you should be aware that a few hundred years ago, this term natural theology simply meant science. Okay? We're not using it in that sense. Okay? Isaac Newton would have called himself a natural theologian. He was studying the world that God had made, and there was nothing ungodly about that. But a lot of people use the term natural theology to mean, what can I learn about God by looking at the world? Now, what can you learn about God by looking at the world? Are you going to go into more detail about these? Or are you just, this is the I'm just scanning through them quickly. Would it be fair to say on historical theology that a guy who is oriented that way thinks they know more in 300 A.D. or first century because they were closer? To okay, to yeah. There, there are some people who will say that the early church had it right 
and we got it wrong because we're farther away from the early events. Okay? I don't think that's true, but some people would say that. Okay? But not all historical theologians just... Not all historical theologians would say that at all. No. No. Okay, well, what question was I asking you? I can't remember. How what do we know about that? Oh. Romans chapter 1, right? Romans chapter 1 tells you what you can learn by looking at the world. You can learn that there is a great creator God who is powerful. And that's about it. Okay? There's not much more that you can know about God reliably without the guidance of Scripture. Okay? So natural theology, I think, is quite limited. Then there's systematic theology. Now compare systematic and biblical theology. Biblical theology is a way of organizing what Scripture teaches, either according to chronology, how the information was re revealed as more and more books of the Bible were given, or by author. Systematic theology is organizing what Scripture teaches us by topic. Okay? This is where our focus is going to be. For example, one of our courses is going to be on soteriology, the doctrine of how you get saved. Hamartiology, the doctrine of sin. What is sin? What does it cause? Anthropology, what is the nature of man? Those are topics. Okay? This is where our focus is going to be on systematic theology. Alright, now, we got about 15 minutes left. We're going to whip through some contemporary theologies. Now, when I say contemporary, I'm talking about in the last two or three hundred years. That may not sound very contemporary to you, but I'm calling it contemporary. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is that although these theology, many of these theologies go back several hundred years, there are still people who hold to them today. And you will see vestiges of them in the thought of people all the time. And, and you'll see what I mean as we go through it. Okay? Why should we study contemporary theology? theological systems with which we don't agree, because knowing what others are thinking will help us first to defend against false ideas and doctrines. Okay? If you know some wacky ideas that are out there, then when you see them, you won't fall for them. And secondly, it'll help us communicate clearly in a culture where these ideas have had a strong influence. Okay? We live in a culture of people who don't agree with our theology. Knowing some of the reasons why they have some of the ideas that they do will help us to communicate with it. All right, what's liberalism? You tend to go young, okay? Mm -hmm. Liberalism is a Christianity, a form of Christianity that rejected the authority of Scripture and the basic doctrines of the faith and it substituted science and human reason as the highest authorities. <coughs> This was very big in the 1800s and on into the early 1900s. In this kind of religion, feeling takes authority over facts, human sinlessness is, sinfulness is denied, and Christ is generally viewed as the ideal man. The, the guy everybody should be like, but not the Son of God, not the Savior. Okay? My father was a Unitarian minister, and a lot of Unitarianism is very much like this, okay? Except he didn't have any, any use for Christ or Scripture at all. Okay, neo-Orthodoxy. Has anybody ever heard this word? Okay, a couple of you. 
liberalism was kind of unsatisfying. Okay? Liberalism viewed people as innately good. Liberalism thought that scientific progress would make the world a beautiful place and war would end and we'd create utopia on Earth. Then World War I comes along and people start to say, wait a minute, man is not as good as we thought. And some of these folks who had been liberals started moving back toward Orthodox Christianity. Okay? They retained skepticism toward Scripture, okay? but they looked at man's sin and they said, yeah, people are sinful. And they began to think that God really is sovereign. Okay? Have you ever heard this phrase, leap of faith? Okay. Well, this is where this comes from. The liberals found themselves frustrated and unable to make sense of the world, but they couldn't bring themselves to believe that this told the truth of God. So they just kind of wandered around, and then some of, some of them came into what they called a state of despair, and they just sort of reached out for God in what's the, what they call the leap of faith, and some of them thought they found him. Okay, that's where this leap of faith idea comes from. Neo-Orthodox people think that Scripture is a record of man's attempts to find God, a record of past generations' leaps of faith, <coughs> not a record of what God has sent to us. Or uh, Bart would say that it's uh, this is not the Word of God, but it becomes the Word of God okay. when I read it and I have an encounter with it. Yeah. Something mystical happens. Okay. This is very hard to follow. Makes no sense to me at all. That's probably why I'm not very good at explaining it. Okay. God is dead theology. You remember this from the 60s? Okay? God is dead theology said that one of, the, of two things is true. Either God doesn't exist, or he exists, but he can't be known. Now, if either one of those is true, is there much value in trying to know God? You can't do it. So you may as well live as if he doesn't exist. Okay? This theology did not really grab very many people. I think probably because we all have an innate knowledge that there is a God. But it provided the basis for modern secular humanism in a lot of ways. Okay? Secular humanism says that God has no place in human society, in the culture, or in the state. Right? Well, you can see how that would come from this. Okay, process theology. Any of you heard of this? Okay, process theology is a supposedly Christian theology, but it views God as being less than omniscient and omnipotent. God does not know the future. He's not controlling the destiny of the universe in an overall way. He's sort of making it up as he goes along. All right? This, again, is difficult to follow. Now... Look at this last statement here. Process theology is in many ways an application of the Hegelian dialectic. Okay? Don't be afraid of this. I'm going to explain what this is. You need to know what the Hegelian dialectic is. 
and we're going to look at that right now. I hope we can get through it. Okay. Hegel, by the way, was a German philosopher. This is named after him. Okay. The Hegelian dialectic is a theory of how things develop through time, how systems develop and change. It is at the heart of an awful lot of modern thought, science, economics, religion, politics. And you'll see how this works in just a moment. The basic theory of the Hegelian dialectic says that if you got some kind of system, okay, you've got, uh, well, we'll look at Darwin, okay? You've got a bird living in the Galapagos Islands, okay? And this bird <coughs> likes to eat ants, but the ants live down in a hole. Bird wants to eat, hard for him to get food, okay? One day, some bird is born with a gene it makes him pick up a stick and stick it in the hole. And he pulls it out of the hole and there's ants on it. And he can eat the ants. Okay? Well, what just happened was that there was a thesis. Okay, the thesis is some kind of condition, a hungry bird. The antithesis is the problem that the bird can't get the ants out of the hole. <coughs> Something happens. And there's a change. The bird learns to stick the stick into the hole and pull it out. And all of a sudden, we've got a new situation. We've got a kind of bird who understands that how to get ants out of the hole is to stick a stick in there. And that becomes a new species. Okay? Now, what Darwin did is he used the Hegelian dialectic to come up with an explanation of how lower life forms could develop into more complex life forms. Now, I don't think that what he did was correct. I don't think it works that way. But what's really neat about this from a philosophical point of view, if this is what you want to do, is it gives you an excuse to explain <coughs> an orderly world without bringing God into the picture. Okay? Now, the Hegelian dialectic appears everywhere in modern thought. And once you learn this concept, you're going to start seeing it. Okay? The thesis is a condition. The antithesis is an opposing condition. These things, in a sense, are in conflict. And as they interact, an outcome is produced that's different than what you had at the beginning. That's called the synthesis. Okay? Evolution, okay. Absolutely. Evolution, you've got a species trying to survive in a difficult environment. That's the thesis. You've got random mutation providing creatures that have slightly different characteristics. The difficult environment and the random mutations lead to a natural selection where this mutated animal can survive better than the other ones that existed before. That becomes the synthesis and you end up with a new animal. Okay. Um, how about the development of the English parliamentary system? You've got this monarchical king who can do anything he wants, and you've got these peasants who live on the land who don't like the king taxing them to death. Okay? You have conflict. What happens? You end up with a constitutional monarchy. 
okay? That is a kind of development. Andrew? Is this really the concept that God can't have, have full control because if God knew what we could do, then we can't have free will because if God knew what we could do, then we wouldn't have free will. And that's not well, so you, you, could, you could certainly bring that idea into here. <clears throat> I'm not sure that's where the idea comes from, but you can see how if you hold this Hegelian dialectic idea, you can explain a lot of things and just leave God out of the picture, say God had nothing to do with it. It's just kind of a, an interaction that happens, okay? The Hegelian dialectic permeates modern thought. In biology, it's the foundation of Darwinism, okay? In economics and political theory, it's the foundation of communism, okay? Communism is where you have the bourgeois ruling class that owns the means of production. They have the factories and they've got the money. And over here you've got the proletariat, the poor guys who work in the factory and don't like working for the rich guys. You get class warfare, which leads to socialism and that leads to communism. Okay? That's the theory of communism in a nutshell. It's the Hegelian dialectic. The clash between two classes where one has everything and the others have nothing leads to a new system where we get a new society where everybody shares everything. Okay? Doesn't work. Doesn't work at all, but that's the theory. Okay? In theology, it's at the foundation of the history of religions movement. I don't know, did anybody here ever read The Golden Bough? that ring a bell? Probably not. Well, in the late 1800s, particularly when uh, archaeologists were beginning to dig up the ruins in Egypt, people started looking at uh, an Egyptian pharaoh named Akhenaten. Many of you heard of him? Akhenaten was an oddball <coughs> in Egypt. The Egyptians were pantheists. Akhenaten came along and he didn't reject all the gods, but he became what I believe is called a henotheist. He said, we're going to worship the sun god and we're going to forget about all those other gods. Now, the people who studied the Egyptians came to the conclusion that when the Jews were in Egypt, they learned about henotheism. And when they left Egypt, eventually they developed into monotheism. So they would say that instead of the Jews having an encounter with God, which led them out of polytheism, no, they went through a series of developments in their thought that led them from polytheism to monotheism. And the folks who hold this view will go through scripture and try to find evidence of old polytheistic remnants in the scriptures. Okay. Um, in biblical studies, it's the foundation of source criticism. And I don't want to go into this in detail. If anybody wants to ask me about this, you've probably heard of JEDP. Any of you heard of that? Okay, well, that's where that came from. The idea, for example, that the five books of Moses weren't written by Moses. They're a collection of writings from a whole bunch of people that somebody sort of wove together and made something that looks like it's really one man's writing. Okay? All right, let's talk about what we think about the Hegelian dialectic. Okay, I think it's useful in that it recognizes that systems develop and change through internal conflict. Okay, 
That is true. We've seen it in America in the last few months, okay? We don't know where it's going, but there's been plenty of conflict, and our country is changing, okay? That's reality. I think, though, it's flawed in many ways. It ignores or even denies the hand of God in world events, okay? The world is not just going where it wants to be going. God is in control, okay? It's used to argue that simple systems spontaneously develop into complex systems without intelligent intervention. That's total baloney. The laws of physics and the laws of thermodynamics say that anything that is complex runs down and falls apart. Okay? The idea that we are the, pro the product of a long process of random events so that our distant ancestor was an amoeba, that's just rubbish. Okay? It just doesn't work that way. And if anybody really believed this, okay, we wouldn't have engineers and R&D companies. We'd just set off a bomb in the black and white television factory and wait for a color television, color television to come off the production line. Okay? Nobody believes this. Really. They just use this as an excuse to deny the existence and the work of God. Another thing about this, this pictures all events as morally neutral. The world is just something that sort of happens. Okay? Now here's where it gets really ugly. The Hegelian dialectic has been used as a justification for eugenics and its results. Okay, eugenics is human engineering. Okay? The Hegelian dialectic is what's behind evolution. The theory of evolution is what was behind the Nazi state and their efforts to sterilize all the retarded people and to execute all the Jews. Okay? The Hegelian dialectic is ultimately behind abortion, it's behind the Holocaust, it's behind euthanasia. Because it views us as the product of this long series of impersonal, amoral events that aren't directed by God and have nothing to do with God. And what does that mean? It means ultimately we're all just a bunch of cosmic accidents. And we have no real value. Okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody who uses the Hegelian dialect pushes it to this limit. But that's where these things came from. Okay? We're about out of time. I didn't quite get as far as I wanted to tonight. Does anybody have any questions? Am I going too fast? Okay. Is this boring? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not boring. All right. Well, listen. Um, let's take a break. We're going to start again at quarter up. Okay? So go hit the bathroom, get something to drink, stretch your legs. Please come back if you can. <laughs>